Today we're in the second part of a four-part series we're calling Growth. And last Sunday we said that growth in our Christian life as followers of Christ is not automatic. We have to cooperate with God. We have to do what He tells us to do. We also said that, that growth happens best in, an, in a, a relational environment, that it's only in relationships that we can put into practice what God teaches us as Christians. In other words, if I'm going to learn to forgive, if I'm going to learn to be patient with people, to be kind to people, then I can only learn how to practice what God teaches me to practice in relationships. So when I hide from relationships, I run away because things are difficult, etc., then I rob myself of the opportunity for growth. I cannot grow as a Christian if I'm not in relationships with other people. And that's one of the reasons you need to be actively engaged in church and in Sunday school classes and small group ministries and, and work through issues with friends and with family. God uses it to grow us as Christians. We also said that growth is fluid. While the trend is to be upward, it's not a straight arrow that there will be moments when we lapse. When that happens, we confess, we repent, and we get back up, and with God's help, we keep growing. So we're always moving upward, but it's not a straight arrow. Today, I want you to take your Bible, please, and open to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at the fact that, yes, our relationship with Jesus begins by our placing faith in Christ. It's a faith relationship. That's the starting point. But it's not to stop there. Once you place your faith in Christ, there are some things that are supposed to come next, if you will, some things we're to add to our faith as followers of Christ so we can grow. And we're going to talk about that today. And, and for me... A good example of what it means to grow as a Christian is my father-in-law, Monisa's dad. I first got to know him about 37 years ago when I became his pastor. He's 86 years old now. And uh, at that time, 37 years ago, his wife, uh, Monisa's mom, was, was a dedicated Christian. She taught third grade Sunday school class in that little church that I was pastoring uh, when I was 19. And uh, she was very dedicated and very active. And Jack had been saved and baptized and would come to church, but he wasn't dedicated really wasn't serving, and he did not always make it easy for his wife to be active in church and serve Jesus the way she felt led to. And the truth is, for many years, he wasn't always the easiest person to sometimes live with. But one of the things that really blesses my heart is in the three-plus decades since, he has changed. Because after placing that faith in Jesus and becoming a Christian, and maybe it was a little bit stagnant for the first few years, God began to work in his life. And he started growing. Some years ago, Monisa and I, after preaching here one Sunday morning, drove quickly to Kentucky so that I could preach that evening uh, in his ordination service as a deacon. And today at age 86, he's a deacon in that little church. He's, uh, he's one of the pillars in that church. But he's more than just a strong leader in that church, very faithful, very dedicated. He's a different person. Monisa's mom's had health issues. She's in rehab. And it's been fun to watch Jack not only change spiritually, but that plays out in his relationships. So in recent years, it's been fun to watch him cook, wash dishes, do laundry, and care for his wife when she wasn't able to do all those things that she had always done. And one of the things we saw last week in Scripture was that in life, Christian growth shows up in how we treat people. 
that if you're not growing and getting better at how you treat people, God's people, other people, then you're not growing spiritually. It doesn't matter how much Bible you can quote, how much you study the Scripture. Only when you take what you learn from God's Word and put it into practice in life, especially in relationships, do you experience genuine biblical Christian growth. And so we want to talk about that some more today. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he talks about some qualities, qualities that need to be in our life and need to be growing in our life. And the qualities are some characteristics that are mentioned in verses 5 and 6 and 7, qualities that, if you will, define Christ-likeness. Because all of those qualities were things that were found in Jesus' life. And he says these qualities are supposed to be in us and they are to be growing in us, getting stronger and stronger in us, increasing as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So as I get started, I want to ask you a question. When it comes to developing Christ-likeness in your life, when it comes to growing the qualities of Jesus in your life, here's the question. Are you standing still? Or are you growing? Now, I didn't ask you how much Bible you're learning. Bible learning is important. We saw that last Sunday. God's Word feeds us, but it's not real if it's not changing you. So I'm not asking you how much Bible you're learning. That's important, but that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking how much of that is changing you, making you more like Christ. Those characteristics of Jesus, are they developing in your life? Are you more like Him today than you were five years ago? Are these qualities growing? The qualities he mentions in verses 5 and following like godliness, brotherly kindness, sacrificial love, perseverance, endurance, on and on. Are, are they growing? Are you growing in those things? Or are you standing still? Because Christian growth is about change. It's about these qualities becoming stronger in us, not staying put. Now, here's the thing. You can grow. Your growth won't be a steady arrow like we said. It'll be fluid. There'll be dips. You'll make mistakes. You'll, you'll, have, you'll have those moments when you, when you mess up. But you keep moving forward. You keep moving upward through all of it. You can grow. Some of you tell yourself you can't grow. Some of you tell yourself, this is just how I, I, how I am. I've accepted it. This is how I'm going to be. Nothing will ever be different. I, I can't change. And God wants you to know that's not true. You can change. You can grow. And I want to show you what he says about that. Let's back up and start at verse 3. Okay, look at verse 3 of chapter 1. It says that his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through the true knowledge of him means through our knowledge of Christ. And that's not just knowing about Christ. In the Greek, this is an experiential knowledge. In other words, you know Jesus. You've had an encounter with Jesus. You know him not just from Scripture. You know him because of your salvation experience with him. You know him personally. You know him intimately. And when you came to know Christ at that moment, you placed your faith in him. God tells us here that at that moment when you came to know Jesus, the power of God, the same divine power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power became available to you. That same divine power of God, because you know Christ, 
gives you, he says in verse 3, everything you need to be godly and live a Christian life. When you say to yourself, I cannot change, I cannot live the Christian life, I cannot become more Christ-like, I cannot overcome my anger issues, I cannot overcome these addictions, I cannot overcome this attitude, you are saying that God, you may not mean this, this is not intentional, but when you think about it, you are saying God is lying. Because God says, if you know me, My power, the divine power, is in you and gives you what you need to live, a godly Christian life. And I want that to encourage you because it means you can grow. These qualities of Christ's likeness can grow in you if you cooperate with God, if you want God to do this in your life. Now, When he talks at the end of verse 3 about called us by his own glory and excellence, God has moral excellence, moral purity, perfection, and his glory is all the majesty, all the glory that is associated with God. And when God called us, what it means is we looked at his moral purity, we looked at his glory and realized we didn't have that. We were sinners needed Jesus, and he called us. It drew us to him. But he also it also means that, he, that he's calling us in that direction because notice what verse 4 says. For by these, because of all the things in verse 3, he has granted to us not only his divine nature or power, but he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And what he's saying and the Bible teaches throughout the New Testament is this glorious, excellent, magnificent God. One day you and I are going to see his glory in totality because at the second coming of Jesus we're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to shed this fleshly body and have a new body where there will be no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. And the Bible says on that day when we see the glory of God, we will share in that glory. Our new body, our being home in heaven, our no longer being subject to sin and pain and heartbreak is our experience of the glory of God. And so here in this world as sinners, he called us by his glory to his glory. One day we'll experience that glory in our own lives and in between, between now when I place my faith in Christ. And the day when I share in that glory, I'm moving toward it. That's what growth is. I'm changing. His glory is changing me. His excellence is changing me. Because I know him, he's rubbing off on me. And his power is working in my life to make me more like him, more Christ-like. And so when I become a Christian and I place my faith in Christ to stand still instead of moving upward toward his glory, is a contradiction of who I really am as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's a contradiction of who you are as a follower of Christ when you stand still. We are called to glory. We are called to grow. His power is in us. It can happen. That's what growth is. A theological word for that is sanctification as you become increasingly set apart to him and more like him in your life. 
That's what he means in the middle of verse 4 when he says we become partakers of the divine nature. It's not that we become God, but that God rubs off on us and we look more like him. We think more like God. Our values are more like God. Our lifestyle is more godly. That's what growth is. And that can happen in your life because that power is in you. It's not yours, it's God's, but it's in you. And he's calling you constantly in an upward direction. Now, notice what he says in verse 5, at the end of verse 4 rather. He said, because of this we've escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. In other words, you what was that song we were singing earlier, Overcome? Overcomer? That's what he says at the end of verse 4. Because of that power of Christ that is in you, the glory of God that is calling you upward, you can overcome your sin. You can overcome your addiction. You can overcome your struggle. You can overcome your past. You don't have to stay there. To stay there is to deny, deny the power of God that is in you today. And so I ask you again, are you standing still? Or are you growing, changing in Christ's likeness? Now, verse 5, I love the way it begins. Now, after all this stuff, he says, now listen, now, for this very reason, because of all the things we've just talked about in verses 3 and 4, the power of God that is in you being called up to glory, becoming more like Christ. Now, because of that, he says, apply all diligence, make every effort, work hard to add to your faith, to supply generously to your faith. Faith relationship, that's your salvation point. That's not your stopping point. That's your starting point. That's how you're saved. Faith. But salvation is to grow in us. And he's saying here, to your faith, your faith relationship with Jesus Christ, generously supply, generously add to it, and make every effort, be diligent, work hard at adding to it these qualities, these Christ-like characters in verses 5, characteristics in verses 5, 6, and 7. And notice what he says they are. The first one, add to your faith what? Moral excellence. Your Bible may say goodness. It's a high standard of morality that pleases God. As a follower of Christ, I don't get my standard of what is right and wrong from the culture. I don't get it from TV. I don't get it from music. I don't get it from the Supreme Court. I get it from the saith the Lord. A high standard of morality, of moral excellence, of right and wrong that comes from God. You have that faith relationship with Jesus. Begin adding to your faith. Begin adding to your life. If you want to grow as a Christian... What God says is moral excellence. What God says is morally good. And then add to it knowledge. That's not just head information. That's not just Bible information. That is experiential knowledge. It's the Greek word gnosis, epinosis, for an experience that informs. In other words, I am to get to know Jesus better with every passing year of my Christian life. After I've been saved five years, I should know Jesus better than I did when I first got saved. After I've been a Christian and following Jesus for 15 years, I should know him better than I did after five years. 
After I've been following Jesus for 30 years, I should know him a whole lot better than I did after 15 years. After I've been following Jesus 50 years, I better know him a whole lot more intimately and better than I did after 20 years. In other words, daily, annually, throughout my life as a follower of Christ, getting to know Jesus better and better and better. Add to your faith getting to know him more than you know him today. My wife and I have been married 30-some years. Listen, we know each other a lot better today than we did after five years. After you've been married a few decades, you begin to complete the other one's sentence before they finish it, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you don't have a clue, but stick with it a few decades and you'll find out what I'm talking about. You get to know each other really well. Get to know Jesus better. It's not just information in your head, but it's heart experience. It's life experience that can only come to you by being faithful to Him throughout the years and throughout the decades. Add to your faith, getting to know Him better. And then He says, add to your faith not only moral excellence and knowledge, but add to your faith, uh oh, you ready for this one? Come on, church. Self-control. That means you having mastery over your impulses rather than allowing them to control you you know those those human impulses like anger overeating casual sex gossip and criticism the list is endless those impulses that are just part of being human, the longer we live with Jesus and follow him, the more control we are to have over those impulses. And we're not going to reach perfection this side of heaven. But brothers and sisters, if my temper today is the same way it was when I got saved 20 years ago, I'm not growing. Develop mastery. Over these things, self-control, grow, grow, become more like Christ. Don't settle for where you are. Don't stand still. And then he goes on to mention perseverance, endurance. That's an important one. In the Greek, it literally means to remain under, to abide under, because sometimes life places very heavy stuff on us. And when that happens, we can either be crushed by it, we can either run away and hide and give up and throw in the towel, or we can remain faithful under it and through it. And the only way you're going to get stronger is to stick it out. Grow in endurance or perseverance. Grow, he says, in godliness. Now, that means more, more than moral purity. We normally think godliness just means being morally pure. It's more than that. It's, it's the word for true pure religion. It's, it's the word for absolute, total devotion to God, to Jesus Christ. And out of that grows our morality. That the longer you live as a Christian, the more Jesus becomes the center of your life. The direction for your life. Godliness. Brotherly kindness. How do you treat other believers? Listen, there's there some of you in this room and some of you watching on television right now, and I'm going I'm to tell you what's holding you back spiritually. I, I'm going to tell you right now what's keeping some of you, some of you from growing. It's the fact that sometime in the past, somebody in church did something you didn't like, and you haven't moved past it. And you haven't learned how to be kind. 
and forgive. And it's that very thing that's holding you back from growing the way Jesus wants you to grow. To become more Christ-like. And sometimes you have to choose kindness even when you don't feel kind. Because the more you do, the more you'll feel. But if you never do, you never will feel. Did you get that? Brotherly kindness. And then he says add to it love. The Greek word agape, God's kind of love, is a sacrificial love that is at times willing to put the need of somebody else before your want. So he says you have your faith relationship with Jesus, add to it. Don't stop just with the faith relationship. Add to it these Christ-like characteristics so that you can grow because this is what growth looks like. This is what growth looks like. Now, look at verse 8. He says, if these qualities are yours, if you possess them, if they are increasing, if they are multiplying, you possess them increasingly, you will not be useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, if you really want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, in your knowledge of Jesus Developing these qualities in your life through the power of God will result in you not being, it will result in you being fruitful or effective, productive in your walk with Jesus. If you want to get to know Jesus better, you have to let him work to produce these things in you. That's what growth is. Not always easy, but it's what's necessary. Remember last Sunday I said the, the best environment for experiencing growth is relationships? It's life. Do you know how you develop these qualities? You say, all right, preacher, I want to develop one of these qualities in my life beyond where it is. How do you do that? Well, let me ask you a question. How do you develop your muscles? You have to use them. How do you develop your mind? You have to use it. If you don't use it, what happens? It gets weaker, right? How do you develop these spiritual characteristics? How, how do you allow the power of God to cultivate these things within you? You have to put into practice what you already have. In other words, if you don't act kind with how you already know to act kind, God's not going to develop in you a kinder heart. You have to practice it. If you want to learn how to be faithful under and endure when life is not easy, you just have to stick it out now because if you keep running away, if you throw in the towel, you give up, you're never going to get any stronger than you are right now. You want more self-control? Start ex exerting the self-control that you already have the capacity to, to exert because you'll not get stronger until you do what you already can do. And the truth is most of us don't put a lot of effort. That's why he says make, be diligent. Make every effort to do this. You've got to work at doing these things. And when you do that, you unleash the power of God to make those spiritual muscles, that Christ-likeness, stronger in you than it is right now. But until you practice what you already have, you're not going to get any stronger. And what's hard about that is life can be hard. 
right? Relationships can be messy. We get our feelings hurt. I mean, life is, life's not easy. Relationships can be a struggle. But, it, but it's working through that that is the window to growth. One of my favorite stories in, in the New Testament is the relationship between Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. Barnabas was, he's called the son of encourager, encouragement because he was, he was an encourager. He was the kind of guy who just liked to go up to people with his arm around their shoulder and just encourage them, help them. And you'll remember when, when the guy we know as the Apostle Paul first became a Christian, all the Christians were suspicious of him because Paul had been this, this mad persecutor of the church, throwing Christians in jail and participating in their, their execution and, and, and seizing their property. And, and so Paul was this, was this bad persecutor of Christians. And it's like God has a sense of humor. And God said, looked down and said, all right, Paul, you're the worst persecutor of the church there is. I'm going to turn you into the greatest missionary the church has. And, you know, it's just like God to do that. I mean, he can do that. And, and so God got hold of Paul's life and radically changed him. Paul be, became somebody with faith in Christ. But all the other Christians were scared to death of him. They were suspicious. It was Barnabas who went to Paul, put his arm around his shoulder and said, I believe in you. It was Barnabas who took him to the Christian leaders, the church leaders, and said, he's real, and we need to love him and accept him and support him and help him. It's Barnabas. A few years later, when God did a, a great work in, 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 in the city called Antioch and, and this big evangelistic church made up of both Jewish and Gentile Christians came into being, it was Barnabas who said they need a great leader, they need a great preacher, they need a great pastor. It was Barnabas who went to another country, got Paul, and brought him to Antioch and helped him be installed as co-pastor of that great church. It's Barnabas. And when Paul went on that first missionary journey to the island of Cyprus and up into the areas that today we would call Turkey and planted all those churches... Barnabas is the one who went with him and helped him. Now they're getting ready to go on a, a second missionary trip. Paul and Barnabas, and something, something difficult happens. Look at these verses on the screen. You can look at them in your Bible if you want in Acts 15. It says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. See how they are. In other words, let's go back to all those places we, we preached and planted churches, and let's just check up on how they're doing. The next one, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. Mark was Barnabas' cousin, younger guy. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him, now leave that slide up for a moment, should not take him along because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. In other words, Mark had gone with him on that first journey, but just uh, maybe a fourth of the way through, he quit and went home to Jerusalem. And so now they're going out on their second trip, and Barnabas wants to give John Mark another chance. He wants to encourage him. He wants to take him with them. He has confidence in him. But Paul says, no way. He quit on me once. That's it. You know anybody like that? Are you like that? No second chance. That's it. All right, next slide. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement. You know what that means? They got mad. A heated disagreement. A heated argument between them. So heated that they separated. 
Paul and Barnabas. Now think about the depth of their friendship over all those years, all the things they had done together, all the times Barnabas had been there to help Paul. And now they separate. And Barnabas takes Mark and he goes to Cyprus. And Paul takes another guy named Silas and goes in a different direction, two different missionary teams. Now God used it. You you do know that God can work through our mess-ups, right? Not that God is the author of them, that God creates them or ordains them or is pleased with them, but God can still work through a mess. He's God. And two great missionary teams came out of this. But it's a sad story because of the depth of the relationship. Now, one of the things I'm going to do when I get to heaven is I'm going to sit down and talk to Barnabas and find out more about the rest of his life because that is the last thing we hear about Barnabas in the New Testament. We're just not told anymore. I wish we were, but that's all we're told. But John Mark... We're told more about him. And we learn from elsewhere in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul, who did not want Mark to go with them, and Mark reconciled. And the way we know that, the reason we know that, is later in the New Testament writings of Paul, John Mark is with Paul. They are ministry partners together. They work together. Mark is helping Paul. That would not have happened if they had not moved beyond that incident in Acts 15. I'd like to know more about how it happened. We're not told, but it happened. They overcame. And see, and here's the thing. This is an example in the Apostle Paul's life of growth. Because as I said, growth is fluid. It's not a straight thing. It's, right? Now, don't, don't be offended by that because if you think the Apostle Paul was perfect and sinless, listen, he wasn't. The only sinless person to ever live was Jesus Christ. And speaking of himself, Paul's the one who said, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the very bad that I don't want to do, I end up doing that. Paul sometimes messed up. He said that about himself, did he not? He's a sinner just like me, just like you. And I understand Paul's reasoning in this story, but John Mark became a great man of God, leader in the church, not because of what Paul did, but because of what Barnabas did. And here's an example of growth. But get this. If Paul was not willing to move beyond his attitude about Mark they would never have been able to work together. And I'm sure somewhere along the way, Mark said, you know, Paul, yeah, I messed up on that first trip. I shouldn't have quit. But they worked through it and they moved beyond it. That's how growth happens in your Christian life. And if you're not willing to work through the stuff, if you're not willing to work through and be faithful under the heavy loads then you rob yourself of the potential for Christian growth because growth is not just about how much Bible do you know. Growth is about how much of this Bible that you do know is actually put into practice in your life and in your relationships through the good and the bad, through the easy and the hard. That's growth. And so I ask again, are you standing still or are you growing in Christ's likeness? Are you exercising those spiritual muscles? Now, let me wrap this up. Look at verse 9 back in 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 9. Okay? Verse 9. He says, the one who lacks these qualities, if you're not growing, you're standing still in this Christ likeness, 
God says is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten his purification from his former sins. That's referring back to verse 4 and then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. You, when, when you refuse to grow, when you refuse to become more like Christ, when you, you're not willing to work through, to be faithful through and under stuff, it's as though you've forgotten and are ignoring the fact that the very moment you got saved, God forgave your sin. You repented of sin. Your attitude about sin, past, present, and future, changed. And you are not now to settle for the sin of mediocrity and disobedience. You ought to grow. Don't be short-sighted and forget that you repented of sin. And that was to set the course for the future of your life as well. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be, be all the more diligent. Make every effort again to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. In other words... Do everything you can to confirm your relationship with Jesus Christ. The more you grow in Christ-like qualities, the more confident you become as a Christian and the more obvious it is to everybody you're a follower of Christ because you're growing and changing. Do you know what the failure to grow, the failure to change creates? Doubt. Doubt. Look at verse 11. For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. In other words, open big. The the question is this. What kind of welcome are you going to receive the first time you see Jesus? Because of your growth in Christ's likeness, is he going to say, welcome, good and faithful servant or not? I ask again, when it comes to Christ's likeness and spiritual growth as a Christian, are you standing still or are you growing? What kind of welcome are you going to receive because of your growth or the lack of it? Well, going back to my father-in-law, which Jack Adams are you more like? The one I first got to know 37 years ago or the one I know today? Which one are you more like? And whether you're a Christian in your teens or 20s, a Christian in your 40s or 50s, or a Christian in your 70s or 80s, are you still changing? Are you still growing? Are you still becoming more Christ-like? Or are you just stuck? Just standing still. Which is it? Is there one of these qualities in particular that God is talking to you about right now? Is there one of these qualities you've been using an excuse for years and years and years just to to stay where you are and not grow? 
What's going on in your life? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? Is his power working in your life to grow you, to change you?